Even when my uncles used to come home after 40 years of being here, now they wouldn't they wouldn't treat them with any airs and graces. They'd be like, oh, good, you know, good, good to see you. You'll have a pint, you know. What I mean, they would be you no know, standing up and hugging and just like they never left, which is nice. This is Centerpiece NY with Paul Finnegan, your presenter and producer. Centerpiece NY is a podcast that traces the lives and thoughts of people who have put down some serious roots in the Irish community in New York. In a somewhat minor departure from our usual format, we have two guests for this episode, young 30-somethings and brothers, Peter and Brian Fahey, originally from Salt Hill in Galway City, the city of the tribes, who came to live in New York just only in the last 10 years, but are in the States now for the long haul. I have a maroon colored t-shirt, though it's a bit worn now, with the words Galway, probably the best city in Ireland, printed on it. Galwegians, people from Galway, like to say probably when what they really mean is definitely. But that said, it's worth exploring of Galway City, a spot dead centre along the west coast of Ireland, really holds its rightful place among the cities of Ireland and the world. It was often reported in the 1970s and 80s that Galway was the second fastest growing city in Europe. No one ever mentioned the name of the fastest growing one, by the way. One measure of a city is its population. Let's have a look at the numbers. New York, 8 million. London, 9 million. Mexico City, 22 million. Tokyo, 37 million. Dublin has 1.2 million, Galway 80,000. And for most of its existence, Galwegians numbered a half or less of that number. So does that just make it a big town, or is it a city? Well, Richard III, the king of the English, those interfering busybodies, thought so in 1484 when he awarded a city charter to Galway. And Queen Elizabeth I herself renewed that charter in 1579. In that period, Galway was a very important international trading port. Christopher Columbus himself even stopped by on one of his commercial ventures. During those times, 14 merchant families the tribes of Galway, as they were known, dominated the political, commercial and social life of the city. This is why Galway is often called the City of the Tribes. In 1984, Galway had a year-long celebration marking its quincentennial, 500 years a city. Street festivals with music and performances and food were held in the oldest sections of the city. 
I know all this because I grew up there. The festival I remember most was the one held along Key Street, which lucked out with a week of glorious weather, which, when it happens in Galway, is nothing less than transcendent, which is to say, it is brilliant. For Key Street, it was probably the beginning of a revival that has made it the tourist attraction it is today. So maybe there's more to a city than population numbers. It might be better to ask if Galway has the heartbeat of a city. And how can we begin to answer this? A deep, black rock dive with Peter and Brian Fahey slicing through the many levels of Galway should help. But first, let's take a quick roll call. Pay attention now to who's who. Okay, my name is Peter Fahey. I'm very glad to be here today with Paul and Brian. Brian Fahey from Salt Hill, Galway. Also very glad to be here today to take part in this podcast with Paul Finnegan. And let's quickly clear up something for our international audience and for our American listeners in particular. Do they call you Fahey out here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Fahey. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get used to it. It's like Fahey. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, you try to say to some of the, the American boys that come into the bar to me and they'd be like, what's your surname? It's like Fahey. They'd be like, Fahey? 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 Yeah. They can't get their... Uh, it's too Gaelic yeah. almost, yeah, exactly. you know? To get to know a city, it helps to start with a bit of a street map. I asked Brian to talk about the map of Galway he keeps in his head. He chooses the road west. City of Galway, well, you start in where my father came from, Woodkey, probably one of the oldest parts where the water used to come right up, I suppose. Further west, the old fishing village of Clada, down by Key Street, a lot of the old stock down there, old Galway. Always stocked on by the west, and then you go up further around by the college. You have Newcastle, Chantilly, you have the west side, and then of course out to the fabulous Salt Hill right on the bay there. They're so close, but it's almost like sometimes they're worlds apart. The different characters you get in each part of the city. It's a great city in that way. I asked Peter, who's a couple of years older than his brother, to take us out the other side of town, the east side. Peter, we learn, sees almost everything through the prism of sports. You'd be looking at Merview, Renmore, where my mother came from, Renmore, you know. We had a great rivalry with Renmore and Merview growing up when it regards football. Great lads out there. But like what Brian said, it's Galway City, it's so, so close, but so far. There's nearly a different accent in every different parish. But generally, all Galwegians, tribesmen, always got on very, very well. Always had a good time anytime you'd meet them out. Yeah. Now, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you'll have heard this message before. Celtic Irish American Academy is a two-week summer program that takes place in Salt Hill, Galway each July. High school students from a variety of states have attended our last four programs. It helps them to gain a deep appreciation of their Irish culture and heritage and also to become more globally aware young citizens. Students stay with host families in the seaside village, attend classes in St. Davis College and enjoy a variety of traditional activities and excursions. My name is Brian Fagg, Director of the Academy. If you are interested in your children or grandchildren attending, please contact us through our website. And that website is CelticIrishAmericanAcademy.com. Full disclosure, I was introduced to Peter and Brian by their dad, the Director of the Celtic Irish American Academy in Galway. He's also assistant principal at St. Enda's Secondary School there. I keep wanting to call him 
Brian Sr., but the two Brians, father and son, spell their names differently, so I don't know if that makes sense. We'll just stick with Dad, so for this episode anyway. We moved from Kildare. Dad got a job down at St. Inda's secondary school, so I was only two. So you would have been four or five when you started, and then I would have started in School Katrina, and two sisters also went to School Katrina at the same time in and we lived in Renmore for two years, and then we made the move out to the Salt Hill. As the Renmore lads would call us, the Beach Boys. <laughs> the elementary schools in Ireland are known as national schools, and are sometimes called primary schools. Once the younger Galway kids get to about 12 years of age, they leave their primary education behind, emerging from their little parish silos. Most of them will hop on a bus from among a fleet of city buses that crisscross Galway to be ferried to and from one of many secondary schools. To the 12-year-old, Galway has expanded. Now they swim in a bigger river. Peter took an interesting detour for his secondary education. Well, I started off in St. Endes, St. Endes College in the Trinity Road in Galway. I did my first two years, first and second year, and then I was shipped out to St. Gerald's. My own choice. I boarded out there for a year and a half, and it was one of the most amazing times I had in my life. I met the best of friends who I've remained in contact with. They've come out from Galway to meet me on numerous occasions into New York City. And where is Jarlitz? It's in Chum, Chum County, Galway. Yeah, <gasps> North Galway. What caused you to make that choice? I guess at the time I was, I was mad about Gaelic football, Irish football. And that gave me the big push to get out there. And yeah, that was, that was basically it. And after that, after that, it just took its own its own road, had a great time out there. When you came back from Jarlitz, where did you finish up then? I finished up in St. Hendes. And what was happening? You weren't flying the books diligently, is it? And you were summoned home, is it coming up to the leaving, is it? Exactly, you hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> and I still didn't apply myself too well to the books. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, I came back to uh, Salt Hill and back into St. Hendes. My father taught me from, uh, for the leaving cert. He taught me English and yeah, it was, it was time to come back, let's put it that way. I wasn't putting applying the head to the books in St. Jarlitz, came back, my father made me knuckle down. And having Dad as your teacher? I had him double English class on a Monday morning, and I used to beg him not to make me read out. He used to make everybody on a Monday read out a few lines of the books, you know, to kill a mockingbird. That's what we studied for our leaving cert in English. And uh, he used to always announce on a Monday morning, I have a very special guest speaker today. And I'd be cringing. I'd be sitting in the seat and I'd be nearly shaking. My son, Peter. And he had me at the top of the class and I'd be sweating buckets. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, a good, it was a good time. Always a good time. Dad taught me for five years as well, you know. Oh, I was a bit of a gurrier in school. Whereas Peter had the charm to get him around it, I was just more cheeky and I didn't have the charm to get myself <laughs> around it, you know. So if one of the teachers had told him that Brian was doing this or whatever, nothing, nothing very bad, just cheeky, you know. I'd hear about it in the evening, for sure, I'd hear about it in the evening. Yeah. He was as fair with uh, me as he was with the best and, and the worst students in, 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 the, in the school, you know. When they see you get berated in class as much as they're getting berated in class for doing something wrong, they notice that like you're just another student like them. 
He did understand, but he wouldn't let that be an excuse that it was difficult for us, you know what I mean? It was your art school to learn and it didn't matter who he was really, he was the teacher that wanted to get you through, just like any other student, you know? You had lads from my Cullen, you had some lads from even Spiddle that came in the road, you had lads from Menlo, you had lads from Merview, you had lads from Remore. The Barna boys, don't forget the Barna lads. Barna lads. Within Enders itself you had a whole mix of, of Galway, which was nice because you're you're seeing other parts of the city within your own classroom, you know what I mean? So that, that was nice. Play alongside them in the games, the football and the hurling. And of course, they'd speak more Irish than we would have. My dad was a big Irish speaker, my grandmother too, but they would have more. They'd have the couple of fuckle, you know, and they'd be streaming them out in class. Yeah. You'd be playing football with them on a Tuesday for a school's game, and then you'd be killing each other on a Saturday, playing against each other, you know? But it was always good times. The Fahey brothers have always been very active in sports. The Gaelic-Irish games of football and hurling being their forte, skills they brought with them and made good use of years later in New York. Football and hurling, we played football for Salt Hill and hurling for Lee Mellows. So, get busy, and school games. Definitely, these five days a week we were out, talked out. <laughs> the late Eugene Dunleavy, my Latin and PE teacher in the Bish, one of Galway's renowned secondary schools, once told us that the expression to tug out to put on your team's uniform for a game or just to put on something for training is derived from the word toga, the dress of choice of the ancient Romans. At one time in Galway, as with Ireland in general, the boys went exclusively to boys' secondary schools and the girls went to girls' secondary schools. But increasingly the schools are moving to co-educational, or co-ed, both boys and girls. It is common to call a secondary school a college. For example, the official name of the Bish, my alma mater, and still all boys, is St. Joseph's Patrician College. Galway has secondary schools like London has association football clubs. On the western end of the city, in Naknakara, we have Kaloshtha Kurba, or Karab College in English, named for the famous Galway River, the Karab. Near there is the aforementioned St. Endes and the all-girls Salerno. Closer to town, on Taylor's Hill, we have the all-girls Dominican College. Then as you move on, you come upon St. Mary's, once all boys, and recently amalgamated with both the Prez and the Mercy, once all girls, into the newest secondary school in Galway. Down the west, on Sea Road, we have the Jesuits, the Jez, and slightly closer to the middle of town, on Nuns Island, you have the Bish. On the other side of town, you have Galway Community College, which my peers may remember as Moni Nagisha Tech. Now is a good time to bring in the first of our guest contributors to this episode. Here's Linda Tonery from Riverside in Galway and the founder and chief strategist at Treo in New York. She's also a former pupil of the Mercy Primary and Secondary Schools. Going to school in the heart of the city, I went to the Mercy Convent on Francis Street, which is right opposite the Abbey Church. And what a lot of people don't know is that there is a tunnel that connects the primary school with the convent across the street that goes right under Francis Street. 
And when we would have to go to mass in the Abbey Church for a special occasion, the nuns would take us through the tunnel. It was the safest way to bring lots of young children across the street. We would all line up single file and the nun would open the door down to the tunnel. And then we would all go one by one down the staircase in a very, very dark staircase, I remember, and get into the tunnel. The tunnel itself was narrow and also it was not very high and it felt like it would go on forever. And then eventually you keep walking and you would come out to the sunlight on the other end. But it was a very unique uh, experience for young children. It was spooky, but what a great memory. And I often think of it when I think of my days in primary school in Galway. That's the sound of the 1980s Galway band Shattered Eagle. Band member and my friend from my Bish days, Saltill's David Comer, now living in Sydney for the longest, kindly sent some tracks over to me for this episode. You'll hear more from Shattered Eagle later. College. That's when you really start swimming in the big city cosmopolitan waters of Galway. In the 1840s, the English monarch, this time it was Queen Victoria, did Galway a massive favour, a solid, as they might say in New York. She came up with a brand new set of universities for Ireland and put one in Galway, and thus began Galway's amazing life as a college town. It was then called Queen's College and later University College Galway and is now known as the National University of Ireland at Galway, NUI Galway. What did Dad say? He said you can go to any college or university in the country as long as you go to UCG, you know. <laughs> because you're one of the finest universities really and, and some of the finest colleges, GMIT, NUIG, you know, GTI, right on your doorstep. And you have the comfort of home, which is good and it has its downfalls you know because you really you get used to being in the nest but going to NUIG was a great experience. And Brian's course of study at NUI Galway? Public and social policy so about economics and family law kind of direction. But a challenge that faces us all at all times faced Brian too. Finding his path. And that's when the lure of New York grew too strong and he interrupted his studies but not before he embraced the diversity of college life in Galway. And what was the source of this diversity? The west of Ireland mainly, Donegal down through Clare. But then you have, you have students coming from other countries. It adds an enormous amount of diverse cultures to the town for sure. When I was there, there was a lot of students from the United States. You had Mexicans, you had Spanish, you had Brazilians. You just had a fantastic mix, which adds to the town because they mingle. You know what I mean? They're living in the town and they see that there's already a vibrant culture there and they get involved in that and they add to that. Then you're mixed up with how friendly Galway people are. So it's just really the whole student population 
from Donegal to to Brazil get get involved. You know what I mean? And and that that that's a huge array of of culture that adds to the city and to the vibrancy of the city. You know. Now married, Brian is working in commercial real estate in New York City while completing a degree in business management online at Colorado State University. Peter didn't embrace the books as much as his brother. He picked up a trade or two before he headed to New York, where such expertise can open all kinds of doors. But he too experienced aspects of Galway's college life before he left. Now I snuck into NUIG bar many of the times because we needed a NUIG identification to get into the bar. But my brother very. Uh, Paul, it was the, the tables had turned. I usually use Peter's ID to get into places, <laughs> yeah, and he was like, "Give me your student ID, will you?" And I was like, "All right, fair." <laughs> we worked in the hole in the wall bar over there. Any student that went to Galway realistically would know the hole in the wall. So no matter where you are in the world. Really, and you bump into an Irish person, particularly an Irish person that went to school in Galway, and you mention that, they know the place. Taft's probably the most international bar in Galway City. You have, you have the lads from Connemara sitting at the bar, and then you have the lady from Ohio sitting down drinking her Guinness, you know what I mean? So that's... that's the guy from Alabama, yeah, Taft's yeah. is a great spot. While the colleges are fundamental to the Galway identity, they are a more transient component. Where would we look to find the bedrock of ye old Galway? Pubs are always a good bet in Ireland. Where you'd really find then the old stock of Galway would be Hughes's there in Waukee, one of the finest bars, one of the oldest bars in the city. Murphy's then, Murphy's on High Street. That'd be another another locale for the stock. Feeney's as well. But the West, uh, in and around, in around the Galway West. City, yeah, in, around, in around the West, yeah, yeah. The Crane. The Crane, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Crane. Spot. I'm down in the city, you know where to find me. I'm down in the city, you know where to find me. I'm up on the top floor. I'm up on the top floor. Just under the moon. Just under the moon. And their favorite parts of the city? Where do you start? I mean, you, you could look at the promenade, you could go to Shop Street, out to Connemara. I mean, it's just a beautiful, beautiful part of the world, you know. For me, I would have to say my favourite part of Galway City would be Salt Hill. A walk on the prom at 7 o'clock in the morning, you can't beat it. Absolutely fantastic. <gasps> Once again, Linda Tonery. There's very few cities in the world where you can walk through the bustling streets of town and within a few minutes you're on a promenade overlooking the bay and the Atlantic Ocean. You have the hills of County Clare over to your left. On a really fine day you can actually see the Aran Islands and if you're really blessed and really lucky and the sun is setting on Galway Bay when you're walking along the promenade, you can see the sun just bleed into the bay and it's there's no place like it in the world. And you can get a good exercise in so long as you don't stop off for a 99 on your way home. But it is absolutely beautiful. And it's when I think of going back to Galway, the first thing I want to do is go for a walk along the prom. The most beautiful part for me about Galway City is the walk down the river and the, and the canals. You start up there at the university and you walk straight down. And on one day it could be the, the wildest river you'd see and then another day it's flat as concrete. The way Galway is obviously a medieval city built into the river there for the the trade, I suppose, that you could go down in the Spanish Arch. The long walk out there and looking over at the Clada Basin, it's just, it's picturesque. 
beautiful. Then you head out west and you have the 12 pins. You have to drive out to Roundstone and to Clifton. The scenery changes drastically as, as you explore Galway, you know, which is why you'd encourage people over here, especially to go and see Galway, because you're, you're getting an array of culture and scenery within one small western city, you know. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. Tourism is a huge industry and Galway being so friendly, tourists do feel, I believe when they go there, they feel as if they've found a really real part of Ireland, we'll put it that way. And many tourists don't spend maybe enough time as they should in the west of Ireland, you know, they figure they'll see Dublin, the east coast Dublin being the main city, but any tourist you talk to that's been there, they find a place in their heart for Galway because they're really welcomed there. The more tourism, the better, you know, it's, it's, it's great for the, it's great for the vibe and it's, it's great for the economy, and it's just good to have people from other places come to see us, you know what I mean, to discover Galway. Tourism is vital to Galway City. What are the big annual attractions in Galway that would bring in the tourists more than others? You'd have to go number one to Galway Races for sure. It's a massive, massive race festival in, in Galway, in Ireland. It's one of the biggest in the world, I think, you know. Just brings people from out of every angle of the world, really. I've met the best people working in the hole in the wall, whether it be from Alabama, whether it be from County Cork, from Tyrone or Derry, they come from everywhere. And it's just a fantastic, fantastic week for Galway. You know? Brian, you could add to that, right? Well, Christy Moore put it nicely. Some head off to exotic places and others head to the Galway races. Yeah. <laughs> it's the place to be in Ireland, really. In, in, in was it late July? It's the last, place to be. Last Sunday in July, yeah. First yeah. week in August. It's the, it's the place to be. Crack is 90, as they say. And one more word from Linda. Our home was a bed and breakfast during the summer, so you were always guaranteed to be full race week. Because we were close to the race course too, we had a lot of people stay who were connected with racing, such as jockeys, trainers, and the bookmakers too. Everybody was in great form. It was the summertime, just delighted to be in Galway. And as intense as it was every day at the race course itself, the uh, nightlife in Galway was absolutely electric. So being in a and b you were always a little on edge, but a good on edge, just concerned that everybody would make it home that night and nobody would lose their keys or forget where they were staying and all that sort of thing. And nobody got up the next day on time for breakfast. Breakfast ran until the early afternoon, but it was race week and nobody really cared too much. It was a great, great time. And when it came to an end, it was really like Christmas coming to an end. You had to wait a whole year to feel that feeling of excitement all over again. The arts festival then is, is, is a couple, I think it's a couple of weeks before it. That brings out a different side of Galway then, you know, the, the more creative side and the, and the art, artsy side of Galway. The Machnus Parade is the same kind of idea, maybe not as big as the other two, but it brings out the creativity that really lies in, in the depth of Galway, you know what I mean? Music, you were walking down Shop Street on any given day, the coldest day of the year or the warmest day? The coldest day of the year you might have only a couple. I partook myself in some of those a couple of cold evenings, you know, after a night out myself, my buddy used to go busking on Shot Street, but we weren't exactly as uh, as good or, or as professional as some of the buskers that are there now. And you're talking about tourists, when they see that, they're walking down Shot Street and you hear the banjo, 20 steps down, you're hearing the guitar, 20 steps down, you're hearing the fiddle, and another 20 steps down, you're, you're seeing a girl Irish dancing to her own music, you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's beautiful to see, and it, that ripples through the 
the streets, that music. That creativity, you can feel it. It's a part of Galway. It's a part of being from Galway. As we go to press, up-and-coming American author Madison Roa sends us this message direct from the heart of Galway. Hello, this is writer Madison Roa enjoying a stroll through Air Square in lovely Galway City. Wishing all listeners of Centerpiece NY a wonderful day and best wishes from Ireland. Ara, a seaport. Lots of seagulls. Sure look it. Thanks, Madison. You can learn more about Madison in our show notes and on our website. Not enough Galway people know that two of the top 20 ideas in advertising in this century came from the mind of a guy from Galway City. From the Dunamara section of Renmore, actually. His name is Vinnie Warren. We'll put his website in the show notes so you can learn more about him. He's based in Chicago, and he sent me this memory of growing up in Galway. Hi, Paul. Um, I was thinking about it, and I think my favourite thing about growing up in Ireland in the 80s when I did was the um, the amazing musical talent you could see there all the time, you know? Like, all the big acts stopped in Galway, you know? We saw, like, Simple Minds, The Jam, Depeche Mode's first tour, Thin Lizzy three times, uh, The Smiths. <laughs> I saw The Smiths. I mean, it was crazy. And... Uh, that was the best thing about it for me. It was such a, a musical town, and remains such a musical town. It's uh, everywhere you go, you hear Galway girl. <laughs> everywhere except here. Cheers. Thanks. Isn't it where Ed Sheeran started off his busking? Was in outside the treasure chest in Galway, yeah, right? He played in the Roaching Dove too. And uh, also a good friend of mine, Frankie O'Connor. You know O'Connor's in Salt Hill. Frankie's a very good friend of mine, and Ed actually shot his music video for Galway Girl in there. And every time I go back. Frankie always gives me a cheer in his corner. It's fantastic. <laughs> you know, the boys, Sean Gavin, and a few of the lads playing the fiddles. I think because they look alike, you think, people might think Ed Sheeran is there, you know. <laughs> That's an institution, though, O'Connor's now at this stage, you know. No matter, how, no matter how long it is since you've gone back, oh, it's you walk time. in, Frank knows the head of you straight away. He said, you know, sit down here, what are you having? And, you know, it's just to go home after... A stint. A stint, and you're welcome back like you, you never left. Doesn't always happen. You know, you, of course, you get the banter from, from the other group. You're like, oh, the Yank is home. <laughs> you know, you get, which is a par- parcel of Galway. You have to put up, put up with that too, you know. It has been said that ambition goes to Galway to die. At this stage, you might be thinking that Galway City is too good to be true. That's because we haven't addressed the old elephant in the room, the weather. It might be equally true that bad weather is sent to Galway to die, and it doesn't go willingly, kicking and flailing, sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks, as it dissipates into the heavens. The weather, it's obviously extremely unpredictable. I used to play a lot of golf at home. You weren't planning a day of golf around the weather. You were going regardless. You know, myself and my father, Peter, joined us too sometimes. I was more of the golfer when I was younger, but... Here you can plan your day around a game of golf. You know, it's going to be 80 degrees and sunny. Over there, it could be 65 degrees and sunny. And 30 seconds later, it's a downpour. 30 seconds later, again, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's sunny. It's just it's so unpredictable. And probably 
not good for the psyche in the winter time, you know what I mean? It's so damp and dreary and it, it, the rain is constant. But on a fine day, it's one of the finest places you could be. It could be argued that the real bad actor in the weather is not the rain. Cuts the rain right through you. Then up in the meadows there, where you're, where you're from, you'd be playing hurling up there and you'd be hitting the ball and it'd be almost coming right back over your head, you know what I mean? This is a perfect description of the wind in Galway. Uh, the Argentinian kicker, I think he was playing with Leinster at the time, playing against Connacht, Felipe Contepome. He kicked the ball, kicked it between the posts, and it came straight back out into his hands. Was it over? Was it not over? I'll never, ever forget it. Yeah. They gave him the touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> County Galway versus Galway City. Is there a difference? There is a huge difference, absolutely. Totally different <laughs> uh, language altogether, you could say. The boys in Tune, like Sham, Scan, how are you getting on, you know? Galway City lads, it's very like... Loving. Loving, how are you getting on, those <laughs> things, you know? It's very funny. So close, but so far, you know? It's <laughs> but then you're a, you're a townie. I'm a townie. Yeah. They're farming lads, you know what I mean? Not all of them, of course, but they're from the farming lands, and, you know, you're a... Tough men. The only farm I did was picking the weeds and mowing the lawn for dad, you know what I mean? These he, boys are out, you know? And you didn't even do that way. <laughs> <laughs> only when I was forced to do it, you know? <laughs> but it, it's, it's a completely different world. But saying that, you're all Galwegians, like you said earlier, Peter, you know, you're, you're still a Galwegian. What I always found funny about being out in the countryside, we'll go to Galway. That language in itself, it's like, we're in Galway. <laughs> you know what I mean? We say we go from Salt Hill, we're in the town, we go to town, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's. It's funny, it's like for them, it seems like it's Galway is a world, world away, you know what I mean? It's like going to Boston, maybe, you know, we go to Boston. What is it for the Fahey brothers that makes Galway unique and special? I think it's the sense of community. I would never say it's a, it's a bad thing, but you know everybody, which you don't necessarily get here, but at home, there's a great sense of community about Galway. You know, you may be walking down Shop Street and you know you know people, you're, you're old family friends, you know, like we mentioned the Hughes and Wookiee there, you'd be walking down and our families are friends for generations. Like Irish families in general, the bonds of the Fahey family are strong. Let's take a quick and very incomplete inventory across three generations. First, we know of Peter and Brian's dad from Woodkey in the heart of Galway. His parents were Richard and Mary from Anna Down in County Galway. Dad's brothers, Richard and Tom, who is now deceased, went to America. Dad's other brother Peter went on his travels too, but is now living back home in Woodkey. Dad married Deirdre O'Brien from my own parish of Renmore. Along with their sons, they have two older daughters, Johanna and Catherine. Deirdre's parents settled in Renmore. Her father, Dermot, was from Roscommon, and Josephine, her mother, was from Waterford. Josephine was a well-known figure around Renmore. 
As for Peter and Brian's first cousins in America, the late Uncle Tom's children are Kelly, Maureen and Ricky. Uncle Richard's children are Shannon and Rick Jr. You know you're a part of, I guess, a tribal city. You know, you're, you're a part and you're a part of that tribe and you very will be a part of that tribe, even, even after time out. You go home. They can't deny you, you know. <laughs> they, and they never deny one of their own. They might give you a bit of a bit of guff about, like, like you said, the Yank being home. But you're part of that city forever, which f- for me is one of the most special parts about Galway. Is just you know ha- having that connection to the people and to the city. You know, I put it this way: you could walk from Black Rock to Ladies Beach in thirty minutes if you had your sunglasses on, your cap down, because you meet everybody, the world and its mother, on the prom or where it be in town. You'd be chatting, you could be talking for hours, you know. So true. Tribesmen, you know. Every day in Ireland, the main evening news starts at 6.01pm. Not 6pm. Here's why. Now we'll go to the newsroom and Shane McGowan. The Angelus, a tradition of prayer in the Catholic faith, a moment for the nation to reflect. That's an old, old, old tradition. And nowadays when there's a large cancelled culture, I don't think it's any harm to keep it. We don't disrespect any other religion by playing the Angelus. I think, in fact, it's a time, two times of the day, that the country can just pause for a second no matter if you're Muslim or Catholic or whatever other religions are there, are there at this stage. And also, obviously, the Catholic religion and, and Ireland has had a strained few years. And it's a reminder of, I guess, a sad reminder sometimes of those mistakes that have happened, but it's also a reminder that might need to be kept there. You can't just delete a tradition just for the sake of deleting a tradition. When the English came and tried to get rid of our culture and religion, you fought it. So why do that yourself now to your own culture and religion. I don't see the harm in it, as long as it doesn't interfere with other people's beliefs. I think so, and I think it's important in anybody's day to take that minute and breathe and reflect, if, even if you're not religious or if you're staunch religious. Just take those few seconds to understand that you, you have those breaths to take, you know, that the day is ahead of you or the day is behind you and that tomorrow will be another day, you know what I mean, whether you're religious or not. I am a youth that's inclined to ramble To some foreign country I mean to steer I am loath to part from my friends and comrades I'm not sure how deep Peter's desire to move here was but I know mine goes fairly back to my youth going down to Shannon Airport my aunties, my uncles, my grandparents welcoming the uncles home. It was a huge, huge thing. The uncles from America, you know what I mean? And then when you're old enough, going through New York City with my uncle Rick and, and going upstate with my uncle Tom, you know, and you're living as a, as a young American kid, really, for the few weeks that you're there, you know what I mean? You're, you're with your American cousins and you're doing what they do. I fell in love with that 
culture and the country at a very young age. And I told my uncle Tom and Rick, that eventually I'm going to live in the United States. And eventually I came here in my first J1. I was 18 or 19. My second J1 and then my third J1. And after that, I just, here we are, eight years later. Like many arrivals in America, Brian had to sort out his legal status. And he did. Now he is sure it was a good idea to come to America. I got married, pretty much not for that reason. But I met Jeanette, my wife, love of my life, four years, uh, five years ago. And we got married. One of your previous guests, uh, was it Sean Benson? He had a huge part to play with the EIIC, Emerald Island Immigration Centre. And from there, after we got married in the court, they had a huge part to play with that. He talked about the fierce women of the EIIC and I had a lady called Carmel Rose up there and she was fierce. And not that she put the fear of God into us on the first day, but she was like, you don't have this right. You're not getting your papers. <laughs> Here I are now with the green card in my pocket on my way to citizenship, you know. I wasn't home until 2017. So it was the guts of five years, yeah. We arrived straight off the plane. I didn't fill Jeanette in on the plan. I was like, we're going to the Galway races. She's like, when? now <laughs> so home quick change and straight to Ballybrit I guess a perfect homecoming if you would have it the best week in Galway you know and, and you're, you get to be home for it just by the skin of my teeth my travel card arrives a week before maybe baptism of fire for Jeanette too you know what I mean to be immersed in the Irish culture coming from Mexico you know she's Mexican yeah, oh, yeah from right. the very, very centre of Mexico so we did the court thing however many years ago 2017 and two years ago 2019 we uh, had the Catholic ceremony done in, down in Mexico so some of my family were over down in Mexico. So we were, we were mixing, mixing up the cultures. We were very, very lucky as kids. We were brought over to New York, up in Westchester, whether it be Westchester or Pennsylvania, every other summer. We'd spend three to four weeks with my uncles, our American cousins. And it just, I loved every aspect of the American lifestyle. Every aspect, the American dream, as they say. And ever since then, I just, I just knew I was going to be living in America, living in New York. It was in my head and that was it. We used to come for like four weeks at a time. We'd spend two weeks with Uncle Tommy and his kids up in Westchester. Then we hit down to Pennsylvania to Uncle Ricky for two weeks. <laughs> my cousins would bring us to Yankee Stadium. So they were big Yankee fans then? Oh, yeah. yeah, we were in the old Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Oh, catch up on our jerseys from the hot dogs and trip from Westchester down and you'd see the New York skyline as a kid. It's unbelievable, it's vast, and you're like, am I actually here, you know? Went into the old Yankee Stadium and seen Jason Jambi and Derek Jeter. 1995 was my first time ever in Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium. What an experience, it was with my father, my uncle Tommy, God rest him. Oh, man, it was unbelievable. But not every trip happened in the summer. Dad had said to me, you know, make sure you bring your hat now. We were going to the city, down to meet Uncle Rick. I think we were down, down by the World Trade Center. We stood at the base of the World Trade Center at that time, but uh, getting off the train, I think it was in February or something. Dad had this old, you know, the Irish hats. I'm not wearing that. I'm not wearing that. And he stepped off the train. I said, like, can I have that hat? No. <laughs> you know, then I'd never experienced cold like it before in my life. You know, I think it was only 11 or 12, maybe, you know. Actually younger because the, the towers were still standing. And did the American cousins visit Galway? Like us, every other summer, they'd be back, you know. When the American cousins were coming back, oh, it was great fun altogether, you know. They'd always come back with a suitcase full of goodies. <laughs> or they'd be Twizzlers or Twinkies. Twinkies. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We'd have the bags raided after 10 minutes. What is it for the Fahey brothers that makes New York so great? It's the constant buzz, you know.
what you want to make it. You want to succeed in New York, you'll succeed. It's just an amazing, amazing place. You meet new people every single day. Everybody has a different ambition over here. It's just, it's an eye-opener. I wouldn't change it for anything. It's given me yeah. many different experiences. And <sighs> the culture is for me. Galway in itself was cultured, but when you step into this world, it's just, uh, you've no choice, but your mind is opened. Sometimes adjusting is difficult, but when you learn about other people, you learn about yourself at the same time. So for me, it was developmental. Moving here was extremely developmental. I might still be living at home. I don't know. I don't know what I'd be doing if I was still at home. But moving here, growing as a part of such a vast city where you really have to grow. Because if you, if you don't, if you don't progress here, you're just going to be left behind. You know what I mean? And, and you won't, you will, not that you won't survive, but you'll just get by. And it's very easy to settle in any place. But the good thing about New York is that it'll wake you up fairly quick if you're if you're slacking in any way and i think that's it's it's a push that i definitely needed and the push came and since then life has just been improving steadily for me personally year in year out you know yeah every day is a school day in new york city right a school day yeah <laughs> then you give the buzz then the like buzz. you said it's a constant buzz i mean we're here with you now paul and we might go up to the bronx after the yankee stadium i don't know is the game on at one or is it one later five against the red sox or you go down to Brooklyn, maybe to, to a basketball game, or you know, there's no hockey on at the moment, but there's, there's always something you can do here. Every time, when I'm back in Salt Hill and Galway, I always sit out, the night before I come back to New York, I always sit outside the lawn, and I watch the cars go by. Now let me tell you, there's not a lot of cars. And then literally 24 hours later, boom, back in New York City. Lights flashing, cars beeping, it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. Peter will be settling down soon. I'm recently engaged as of April. I met Lauren in uh, the playwright on 49th Street, my business partner's bar, Frankie Dwyer's bar. And uh, we hit it off that night. Basically, Brian was there with his wife, his fiance at the time. It was Mexican Independence Day, remember? That's right. It was, uh, you know who? It was Canelo against Triple G. Yeah. The fight was on. So there was a big crew of us in there. And it so happened, I saw the picture literally about two months ago. All the boys that were there with me and uh, pictures taken. Lauren's head was in the background like, like this, you know. I was like, look at her. She had to get her head in from the start. <laughs> like many an Irishman in New York before him, Peter has thrown his lot in with the hospitality industry. He's running his own successful Irish bar in Midtown Manhattan now and destined for greater things. So let's give his business a plug. St. Patrick's Bar and Grill, 22 West 46th Street located between 5th and 6th Avenue. We just literally updated our menu as of yesterday for the summer coming. And let me tell you, some good surprises for all involved, you know. We're the home to the Auburn Tigers, the Jacksonville Jaguars and NYCFC. It's a great buzz in there. Anytime you go in there, I try to incorporate a lot of what we did in Ireland, the pubs at home, whether it be Taft's or Connors. Try to bring that home sense into New York. And it's really worked. We have a wide variety of customers that come in, whether it be Marines, whether it be the suits and the banks, whatever it is, everybody comes in, they all have a great time, everyone leaves happy, and they always return, you know? We're open five, going on six years. My brother Brian was a vital part of that. Helped me build a crowd, maintain a crowd, and take it to the next level, basically, you know? I have fantastic staff working with me. They're with me for five years, and they stayed with me through thick and thin through the pandemic, through whatever whatever it was. They came in when I needed to get the place tidied up after the pandemic. Just a fantastic bunch of people, you know? 
And it's getting busy again? Absolutely. Hitting the ground running now. And looking forward to the summer ahead, the Euros, the Copa America and the football season. Official sports group for NYCFC. So on game days, we could have anywhere between two to 300 people in the bar for the soccer games, you know? Brilliant. But yeah. they have a very strong affiliation to Man City. They have. That's the only problem I have. <laughs> <laughs> Been a Man United fan, of course, you know? So there is difficulty there, is there? Yeah, you yeah. know, the blue, I mean... The business is business. Business is business. Yeah. You adapt, you know? Yeah. Great team. Absolute fantastic team. So you have a lot of peace of mind when you're not on site. Absolutely. I look at them more like a family rather than a team. Treat them all with respect. They treat me with respect. It's not like going to work. And that's the way I want my team to be. My family, my team that work with me, come in to work, be happy. If you're happy, everybody's going to get on with have a great time. But I think they respond like to your loyalty. That has been the same roster there pretty much for five years. Give or take, it's, it's, it's a trade that a lot of people come and go naturally. But the core group there has been the same core group there since after six months it was open. Since we're in the mood for giving shout-outs to Galwegian entrepreneurs in New York, let's hear it for Linda and Ali Keneally, who run Celtic Hair Design Salon in Maspeth, and will soon be opening the Angelite Holistic Centre beside it. Check out our show notes for more info. And so, on to Brian and Peter's long-term plans. Assuming there'll be kids someday, where would the brothers Fahey like to raise them? That's a good question. Here. New York, yeah. I don't know about New York, but the United States for sure. I'm not sure where, like, if New York is going to be the, the ultimate destination, the ultimate living point for us at the moment. I, I don't know that. I love New York. The missus likes New York, not as much as I do. I mean, she would like more to be around family, which is Chicago. So anywhere in the Midwest could be an option. Mexico is an option. And Galway is always an option. Ireland in general is a great place to bring up kids. So we have options. Kids are in the pipeline, of course. But I would like them to grow up in the United States for sure. The benefits of growing up here for the education and the opportunity you have here, really. You know, Not that there's no opportunity in Ireland. There's plenty. But it's just, I think, here would be better for them, for our kids. Not too far from a city environment, but still far enough. Upstate New York, I love it up there. Up in Westchester, Peekskill area, Cortland Manor. You're an hour and ten from the city. But you're surrounded by nature. My wife especially, she loves nature. I'm a city boy. I'm a townie, as we, as we discussed before. And so is she from Mexico. But just to have a, a nice garden for kids to play in. And, you know, there's a lot of dangers growing up in an urban environment too. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's more dangerous than it would be upstate. I'm not saying it's dangerous to grow up in New York. I'm not saying that at all. It's just, it's, it's, it's quieter. I think in, to mirror something like Ireland, I, I like it a little bit quieter too, you know. So somewhere Westchester-esque. You'll find me down Jersey Shore, Paul. That's where you're going to find me. I'm thinking Atlantic Highlands is a very, very, very nice area. And that's where I'd like to see myself in the next 10 months, 10 to 12 months. And you'll be able to hoof it up to town then to run the bar? Take the ferry boy straight into downtown Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> the way I look at it is like this. If I can go home in the evening and go out to my back garden and have a barbecue, it's key for me. We grew up by the water. That's where I want to be. The connection between Ireland and the United States goes back centuries but is changing for many reasons, especially down at the community grassroots level. At the very least, it will require work to keep it alive and vibrant. That is why Peter and Brian's father has dedicated much of his life in recent years to the Celtic Irish American Academy in Galway, which was mentioned earlier in this episode. 
Raised as well as they are, Brian and Peter are always mindful of the help they have gotten from family and community in New York. When we came here, it was a support from the Irish community too that we got here, you know what I mean? Through GAA, we both came here and played football when we arrived. But through that, you made a lot, a lot of connections and there were you know, people really willing to go out of their way to get you work to get you a place to live, you know, nothing for free, of course, you, you know, you work and you pay your way, but I mean, they set you up for success and then it's up to you then to grab it or not. Uncle Ricky, Tommy, rest in peace, but you could call them both anytime, or cousins or aunties, anytime, any day, and you know they would, they would support you, you know what I mean? It was cancer that took their Uncle Tom. Now Brian runs marathons each year to raise money for Sloan Kettering. They gave him life, pretty much. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was he was written off. Extended his life considerably. Yeah. I run for Fred's team. Fred LeBeau was the co-founder of the New York City Marathon. His Morris Sloan Kettering have a team that raised funds for cancer research out of Sloan Kettering. It's Fred's team. So that's who I run with and for every, every year. Yeah, this will be seven in a row this year. They're not, they're not counting last year. Peter and Brian are very impressive young men by any measure. They say if you praise children, you are praising the parents. I asked the brothers if they had anything else they'd like to add. Without missing a beat, they chose to speak of their mother and father. They raised us, uh, we were lucky, lucky to have the upbringing we had, Paul, to be honest. You know, not, not everybody has the, the opportunity to grow up in, in, in a house where you're always encouraged and Sports. everything they did, supported, and everything they did was for us. Yeah. They both worked multiple jobs for years and years and years, for as long as I can remember. Just, they always put us yeah. first, no matter what. And the reason we're here, really, you know what I mean? I'm forever grateful for it. Peter and Brian got something else from their folks. A childhood in a western Irish city on the shores of a beautiful bay. Galway Bay. Well, any time I think of Galway Bay, I look at the Black Rock diving board and the sun rising on a Saturday morning. It's just unbelievable. I think everybody should experience it at least once. Galway City, the city of the tribes. I asked at the beginning of this episode if it merits the status of city. As someone who was raised in Galway City myself, I have no doubt that the answer is a yes. It is everything a city should have, as the Fahey brothers tell us. And not only does it have a city's heartbeat, but everything in its heart is weighed in just the right measure. No one is invisible. It bestows upon its young a sense of a much bigger world, that Galway is itself a gateway to a vast expanding domain. The Black Rock Diving Tower isn't a particularly elegant structure. No one would call it an architectural gem. It was designed foremost with safety in mind. But to me, it's not about any of that. There's a reason why it was put there at the end of the prom to begin with, why it sits so magnificently in the minds of Galwegians. It's about that brief moment when you leap, 
when you spring forth away from the tower's uppermost ledge and you're in the air in the instant before you're pulled down into the cold Atlantic Ocean. It's about that split second when the whole world is yours. For me, I used to always say, next stop, Statue of Liberty. The city is always whispering in the ear of its own to take that leap, to fly out into that bigger picture beyond the bay. Many do, some don't, and you can't blame them for choosing not to leave such a fabulous place. I took the leap a long time ago. Unlike the Fahy brothers, at this early stage of their American lives, I've lived many more years away from Galway City than I ever spent there, and most of the many people I grew up with in Galway, they left too, scattered all over now. If it wasn't for the information age that we live in, for Facebook I am forced to say, I wouldn't know the fate of most of them. New York is bigger, of course. It has cities within cities, I like to say, and I'm forever busy discovering and exploring another piece of it, another layer, even to this day. Which is why, I must admit, there were often stretches of time, years even, when I barely gave Galway a second thought. But maybe it's the passing of my parents, getting the call, as they say, twice. The taking away of the two Galwegians my heart took to be permanent and constant, really knowing now the big story is only temporary. Maybe it's this that often now has my thoughts returning to my Galway. I remember once, I was 19 I'd say, driving back to Galway with my father from some eastern county, late in the night, just him and me, in the silence of our thoughts. The main roads were smaller then, narrower, darker. For once, there was no rain on the wind. Somewhere deep in the western Irish countryside we crested a hill, an oasis of light bathed a distant horizon. The lights of Galway, my father said, gently, home. So, this is the last episode of Season 1 of Centerpiece NY. I'm Paul Finnegan, this podcast's creator, producer, presenter, marketer, all those fun things. Thank you so much for listening. We've got some ideas for Season 2 in the works already, so we'll be back before too long. You can learn more about this podcast at centerpieceny.com. That's C-E-N-T-E-R-P-I-E-C-E-N-Y dot com. As a final note for the season, I have to say I thoroughly enjoyed getting to know the two young Fahy lads. I've added in some outtakes at the end here from our recorded session. We had a bit of crack, 
And if you're confused about this word and why it keeps popping up when Irish people are talking, rest assured it has nothing to do with a freebase form of cocaine that can be smoked. If you listen on, you'll get the idea. Have you ever seen a show, and I found it on Netflix, called The Hardy Bucks? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty class. And it's Mayo lads. But, you know, it's really, you know, it's almost like they could be Galway lads too, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. A good yeah. friend of mine, Paul, Paul Convey's name, Mayo guy, good fella. Uh, he, he, I think he went to school with the guy called Buzz from the show. He said he's the exact same on the show as he is in real life. It's a lot of character, you know? Oh yeah, it's classic, that, that show. It really is. I, I thought it was amazing. But they were like... At one point, I think the Viper was, well, he was always doing something with draw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a real, that should be like, that's, to me, that's like Connick's father, Ted, like, or something. Yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. a classic. There's some one lighter out of that show. Have you biscuits? Yeah. Get them. <laughs> so, so um, what was he saying? Oh, yeah, so, so the Viper we bought too much to sell on, that the market <laughs> in uh, that town could support it. Somebody said to him, Swinford, yeah. Well, it's filmed in Swinford, but they call it like Castletown or something. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, where do you think you are, Galway? <laughs> <laughs> You'll never turn around that much. It's like, always New York City, you know. <laughs> he could be moving thirty pounds yeah, of cannabis yeah. or something in a week. Like, where do you think you are, Galway? <laughs> Comics father Ted. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. You know what you could do for the crack beater? You could put on the Angelus in the bar like a nude <laughs> and six minutes. We put on the Angelus every time Paul comes in. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. I, I'll pause. Yeah, I know when I'm in trouble anyway, Paul. Yeah. That's the thing, you know. <laughs> a few choice words in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The eyes open up and the, the, the tongue starts rolling. I'm like, oh, what did I do I now? Know. Yeah. I'm very familiar with that yeah. zone, yeah. believe me. <laughs> Liam Mellow's out in Renmore. Yeah. Yeah. You know where that Liam Mellow's club and the pitch is? Of course, yeah. Do you remember the row of bungalows if you looked up from Liam Mellow's? You might not yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the street I grew up on. Oh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. No way, well, well, we were Lakeshore Drive down the road. Yes. Briefly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, down by Lucatalia. But that was, that was Hawthorne Drive. Hawthorne Drive, Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my spot. Our conversation with the Fahey brothers took place in June 2021 in the library of the New York Irish Centre in Queens. No Blackrock divers or youths inclined to ramble or hardy bucks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Slán gafól. <laughs>